Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. The title of it this week, you'll, it'll make sense at the end, okay? The title of the message is uh, Minding His Own Business. Minding His Own Business. Any of your parents ever tell you that as a little kid? Like, mind your business, son. Go over there and sit at the kid's table. You know, I'm 14. It's all right. Go back to the kid's table. Um, so I want to teach you really quick about three um, three things that will help you in your in your Bible reading, and your Bible study, and give you some definition for those three um, for later on, because these three things are throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. But the reason I'm reviewing them right now is because they're going to apply to the, the larger portion of Scripture that we're going to read a little bit later. Um, all of your notes are at the very beginning, and the rest of it is Scripture that's intentional. Don't think, man, where are the rest of these notes? It's just the ones up at the top, and then um, we'll we'll deal with Judges chapter 6 as we get there. So first and foremost, I want to talk to you about Baal. Anybody ever heard of Baal before? Not Christian Baal. All you ladies in the house be like, I have. Not him. Just Baal, like the false god in the Bible, B-A-A-L. <clears throat> okay? So Baal was a false god that was worshipped by most of the countries uh, that were surrounding Israel in the Middle East. All of the countries and the nations that were established around them primarily worshiped two gods, and one of them was Baal, okay? So Baal was typically represented, by the first line of your notes, um, as a bull-shaped idol made of bronze or bronze color, a bull. So just like this. Now, I know we're in, in Arizona, and there's Grand Canyon University people around here, and they're lopes. Um, whoever picked, are any Grand Canyon graduates in the room or attendees? Okay, good. Oh, yeah, my, my bad, dude. I'm sorry. Um, but but um, I wish they had picked like a mountain lion or something. You know what I mean? Like instead of a lope, you know, an antelope bouncing around, but sort of not a lope, but we're doing a bull. Okay. So, and for all you college football fans, you're like, that's Texas Longhorns. Not today. It's a bull. Okay. So they typically made idols to this God that was a bull. So they believed that Baal was the God of fertility and prosperity. Next two lines in your notes, fertility and prosperity. His worshipers uh, credited him as the God who provided, next line, rain, dew, the sun, thunder, etc. So you may look at that and say, well, how is the fertility and prosperity God credited with like rain and stuff. It kind of doesn't, um, doesn't make sense, doesn't really match up. Well, I want you to remember that this entire culture, this entire region, this entire portion of history is based around agriculture. Everybody is like super vegan in today's context, right? They're growing their own plants, their own, their own vegetables. They're growing their own fruits. They're not going to a store. There is no store to go to. There's not like you can't run down to Kroger and be like, let's see what kind of fruits I want today. No, there's, you have to grow what you have or trade with your neighbor. You're growing livestock. You're growing, you're milking your own cows. You're milking your own goats. You're slaughtering your own um, uh, animals to create meat for your family, growing your own chickens. You may do that. Now, if your HOA allows you, um, you, you have like, if you want eggs, you're not going to get, in, get them from the, the cold section at the grocery store. You are going to get them out of the chicken pen. Everybody's wealth and abundance and livelihood is based upon 
what happens in the ground. So when they want abundance, they want wealth, they want prosperity, they want their, their, um, their, 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 their cattle to have offspring and continue, they pray to the God that they think controls all that. We want to keep this God happy. Why? Because it's directly connected to our prosperity. It's directly connected to my wealth, the size of my land, the size of um, my ownership and my property. It's directly connected. And that's why they worship Baal, who is fertility, the guy who's kind of got potential that's going up, and prosperity. Baal was actually, um, if, if you've never heard of Baal, you may have heard of, in Greek mythology, the, the, the god Zeus. Ever heard of him? He was actually, um, the Greeks saw the characteristics of the pagan god Baal and took him and created Zeus. Renamed him, rebranded him for all you marketing folks in the room. And then he got rebranded again later on in history to the god Jupiter. So whenever you see Jupiter or um, Zeus in Greek mythology, it's a direct pull from Baal. Prosperity, making what I have grow. Make sense? Okay. The second thing I want to talk to you about is a different god named Asherah. Asherah. Or if you're Canadian, Asherah. But we talk right down here in America, so it's Asherah, right? <laughs> like That's a joke. Um, um, so... What kind of idol, what animal was used for Baal? The bull, right? So Asherah, they created their own idols for this god who was a fertility goddess. Interesting, right? They worship a, a, a male kind of predominant god who's fertility and prosperity. Now they worship a female god who is fertility, and her name was Asherah. Okay, so it's next line in your notes. She was believed to be the goddess of fertility, and Asherah poles were made as idol statues in her honor. The poles were placed in physically elevated locations. Next line in your notes, physically elevated locations. And they were either made of wood or her image was carved into trees as a form of worship to this false pagan god. So, People made Asherah poles three different ways. Think of a fence post. You ever seen a fence post? Dug a hole, poured concrete in there, and like posted it straight up and made it made sure it didn't um, it didn't move. They would take pieces of wood and plant them like that into the ground, so they would stand straight up, and then they would carve an image of what they thought Asherah looked like, and that was the idol that they worshipped. They would put these Asherah poles. Or um, they would find a tree that was in an area that was highly elevated off the ground, and they would carve in the, the, the image of Asherah. And in some cases, they would take um, these giant trees that had these big trunks, and they would cut the tops, the branches, off of them. So it would look like it was just this big thing growing out of the ground, and then just whack, just cut off at the top, and they would carve her image in that. The reason that they wanted to put them in these quote-unquote high places was so that they were given oversight to all the people who were below them. So let me give you a, just a quick example here. Just say Phoenix was in the Middle East. Say we were in the Middle East and people were still worshiping Baal and Asherah. 
they would go up on the top of Camelback Mountain and build an altar with a bronze bull to, to Baal, and they would create an Asherah pole next to it, and they would put it on top of the mountain. They wouldn't just stop there. They would go to South Mountain, to Lookout Mountain, to Tom Stum, to the little hill by your house, anything that was an elevated position, and try to put these there because they wanted you to know that you were under the subject of the false god. They were in control. So when famine came, when, when the ground, there was not enough rain or the, the, the weather pattern didn't, um, wasn't conducive to a big crop that year, they thought that they messed up and ticked off Baal and Asherah. And so they would build these altars and sacrifice things to them. They would even go as far as sacrificing children. But one of the things that they sacrificed the most was pigs. Many scholars believe that's why the Jewish people stayed away from eating pork because there were so many pigs that were slaughtered in honor of Baal and Asherah. That's the second one. So Baal's the bull. Asherah has a, a pole. Yep, so the bull and the pole, okay? The third thing, threshing floor. You probably heard of this if you've ever been in church for for any, any length of time, but a threshing floor. <clears throat> this is a large flat surface used to separate grains of wheat from their shell. Grains of wheat from their shell. And the next line in other notes is, uh, either a person would beat the stalks of wheat on the floor or guide animals like oxen around the threshing floor while pulling a stone across the grains to separate them. So me and you go to the store and we buy a five pound bag of flour, 20 pound bag of flour, four pound bag of flour, and we take that home. These guys didn't have that option. They had to create it. So how they did that was they would, there would be giant crops of wheat and they would cut them off towards the bottom. And if you just had a little bit that you needed to make, you would take um, a handful, as much as you could take, um, a grab in your hands, and you would begin to slam the end of the wheat on the ground. And this would separate the wheat from its shell. You may have heard this statement as well, separating the wheat from the chaff. The chaff was the shell on top of the wheat. If you had a, a bunch to do, just picture this room with, you know, a foot deep of of, of wheat grains laid all over the floor, and then they would take a these oxen and trample on them so you didn't have to hit the ground and wear yourself out. You'd never get through it. So they would run these oxen over it to break the wheat away from the, the shell, to separate the wheat and the chaff, and they would also drag this big old huge stone across the wheat to try to separate it as well. That's the threshing floor. Baal is symboled as the bull. Asherah's idol was the, the pole, and it was made of what? Wood. Yeah, you guys are good. This is awesome. And then the threshing floor was to separate wheat from the chaff. Okay. Those three things should help you as you're reading the Old Testament or New Testament because they're mentioned everywhere, but they're going to give us a little bit of insight to this next passage of Scripture that I want to dive into here for today. Now, Judges chapter 6, before we read it, let me tell you what's going on during this time period. God has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
They've crossed the Red Sea. They have, the, the Pharaoh's army has been destroyed. They have gone through the wilderness. They've been out there for 40 years. He's provided food, manna, and water for them. He has um, protected them in this time. He has led them into Canaan. He's given them a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to guide them in the right direction. The Spirit of God's giving them some type of physical thing to say, follow me down this road. He's given them all of that. Then he walks them into Canaan. They defeat their, they defeat the Canaanites, these big old huge giants that they were afraid to fight at the first, but he gives them the strength and the power to overrun them. And this land is the most fertile land. The Bible says it's, uh, the, the, you may have heard the statement of flowing with milk and honey. There wasn't really milk and honey like pouring down the trees or anything, but it was saying it's a metaphor to say this was rich in abundance. Your livestock would would flourish, your plants and your um, uh, your your vegetation would flourish when you planted it in the ground. Because why we're dealing with agriculture? That's what they were primarily caring about. So now Israel has all of this stuff. God has blessed them, has protected them, has brought them out of captivity. He has, he has provided for them literally every single day for more than four decades. He has led them into this place of great prosperity. And what happens to Israel when they get everything they've ever wanted? They got land. They got security. They got borders. They got walls built around. They got all this stuff going on. What happens when God gives them everything? What do they do? They begin to look around and think, what else can I go get? God's provided you everything. He's provided you everything that you need to sustain your life, to, to sustain your family, to grow and build a, uh, be a great nation and to follow him. He has given you everything that you possibly can use, everything that you need. And they start wandering a little bit and thinking, what else is out there that I can go get? I wonder sometimes if in the prayers of our own life and prayers of believers who say, God, bless me financially. Bless me with more money, more things, more power, a better position, a higher salary. I wonder if God denies the request because he knows if we get it our hearts might wonder. Am I telling you, you got to be a poor to be a believer in Christ? No, not at all. I'm telling you, maybe those prayers remain unanswered because God's more concerned about you and his connection more than he is about you having the newest thing. God also gave direction to Israel and said, hey, do not intermarry with any of the other nations around that are around you this wasn't because god was some racist weirdo who didn't want to dilute the genetics of the israeli you know line it's not because of that it's because all of them worshiped baal and asherah he knew that if you walked over there and got involved in a relationship that most guys when they're wandering from where their heart should be with the Lord, will compromise anything to get what they want right then. That's a free lesson for all you ladies in the house. Make sure you pick a woman who ha or a man who has a heart after God. 
And if his heart has wandered from God, he will compromise on anything to get his immediate desire met. Fellas, don't let your heart wander from God. Why? Because you will compromise. Matt, you don't know me. Yeah, right. How do you know I'm going to compromise? Because I did. The times in my own life where I allowed my heart to wander from God, I looked around and thought, it can't be that bad. Can't be that bad for me to just step off of just a little bit. And those are the moments of my greatest regrets. I'm telling you, keep your heart where it's supposed to be centered with Jesus. But what does Israel's, what do the men of Israel do? They go around to these nations. The closest nation was Midian. They were the Midianites. And the guys walked up and was like, ooh, these Midianite girls, they got something I hadn't seen before. They got a little something, something. Sookie, sookie now. Woo, I've been looking at all these Israel girls my whole life, but woo, these Midian girls. Yes. How about you? Hey, come over here and talk to me. I'm from Midian. It don't matter where you're from, girl. I want to be from there too. Come over here. And then you get to know them. And what do they say? I worship Baal. I worship Asherah. And guess what the men did? Man, that's cool with me. You can worship who you want to worship. Uh, you gonna st- But just come with me. Just stay around me. Right? Do you think men just do that today? They've been doing that through all of human history. Fallen man has done that for ever girl you fine it doesn't matter what you want to do i'll do it because i want to be with you right uh the biblical way to say that is like a lamb led to the slaughter that's what that is a dude who is like whatever you want anybody ever seen the great theological movie nacho libre everybody seen that one the, 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 the greatest classic movie of all time, right? That's me and my wife love this movie. We quote it all the time. But remember the, the, the scene in there where, where Nacho is trying to, he's trying to get to know Encarnacion, the girl. And he knocks on her door late at night and she's like, uh, you know, he's asking her what all her favorite things is. What's your favorite color? And she goes, light tan. Like khaki, because they're all like wearing khaki. And then he says, what's your favorite animal? And she says, poopies. And then he says, what's your favorite food? And she's like dry toast or something. I forget what it was. And, you know, and she gives all these things. And at the end of it, he looks at her and goes, oh, my goodness. All of those are my favorite things, too. He's lying through his teeth, but he's just saying it so he can be with the girl. That is exactly what the men of Israel did when they walked over and saw the Midianite women. They started intermarrying. And guess what? Their hearts began to wander away from God and began to reside with Baal and Asherah. What they were directed to do originally, they compromised on, and what they began to worship was the idea of what I want. Let what I have grow. Let my crops be bigger. Let my livestock be, um, be greater. Let the offspring of, of, my, of my livestock be pure and without blemish. Let my land grow. Let my family increase. And it became about everything they wanted instead of what God wanted. Does it sound like any culture you may know today? 
like the one we're living in? So now, the children of Israel are going over there, intermarrying, they're stopping worshiping Yahweh, they're tearing down the altars that are for God, and they're building up these new altars with, with Baal, who is the, and Asherah, who is the, they're, they're worshiping these things instead of their creator. They've allowed themselves to wander off to other pagan gods and instead of remaining true. And then God says, okay, you've disobeyed. So I'm going to bring passive judgment to you. There's two types of judgment that God gives. Number one is active judgment where he is against you. He has taken you off the face of the earth. The ground opens and you fall through and the ground closes. Um, the water crashes in on the people that, you know, on the, on the, the armies of Egypt. That is God's, that's active judgment. His passive judgment is I'm going to let you sustain some of the weight. I'm going to let you bear some of the consequences of your disobedience. I'm just going to move my hand of protection and allow you to experience and bear the scars of disobedience to show you it was much better when I was with God. Israel begins to become overrun by the Midianites. God's passive judgment is now in full swing, and the Midianites destroy the crops. They destroy the, the livestock. They, they steal women and children and put them into slavery from the Israelite people, so much so that the Israelite people, when they see them coming off in the distance, they literally drop everything they're doing. Doesn't matter of what value it is. They try to save their own life. They run to the hills and they hide in the caves. And God allowed it. You're going to run off and do your own thing. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to go down that road, but I'm going to remove my protective hand and let you see just what happens when you follow your own way. This is the point where we are in Judges chapter 6. The people realizing that they are getting trounced on, they're getting their butts whooped every time the Midianites come through. People are dying, livestocks are disappearing, my wealth is going away, and they decide to cry out to the Lord. So you can follow along in your notes, I'll read it out loud for us. Judges 6 verse 7. When they, the children of Israel, cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians who, um, and from all those who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now but you have not listened to me. At this point, if I was there and one of those disobedient Israelites, I would be thinking, busted, bro, got me. That is exactly what we did. Can't make up a story to God. He sees everything. Can't sugarcoat it. This is just, this is what it is. I'm guilty. And I'm waiting for the prophet to say, but... I'm going to step in here and save it. 
I'm gonna, I hear your cry and I'm gonna step in here and end the, 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 the terrible time that you're in. Um, but that's not what happens. The prophet said, um, you have not listened to me. And then in the ultimate mic drop ever, ends his prophecy from the word of God and leaps. That right there would have scared me to death. Why? There's no way out. You haven't given us a way out. I'm going to sit here and still have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. You made your bed. Let's lay in it for a little bit longer. Then, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezar. Yes, these are weird names. Gideon, ever heard that name before? Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat. What was he doing? And which means he was was beating the wheat stalks on the ground to separate the wheats and the chaff, okay? He was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Everybody knew where the wine presses were, that every or the, the threshing floor was, and that's how the Midianites would come in and rob them and take their grain. So he's hiding in a place in the middle of a crazy culture because he still is following God, but he has no way to change the culture. So he's just over there minding his own business, taking care of his family, following God the best he knows how, and just doing what he needs to do to make it, even though the culture around him is going nuts. Verse 12, or verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Anybody, uh, when someone scares you, like or walks around the corner or something, you jump real quick, like me, that's what I do. Like, oh, can you imagine Gideon over there just threshing wheat? Hope, hopefully the Midianites don't see me. Hopefully no one's going to come and rob me. And he's threshing the, the, the wheat on the, the, the floor of the wine press. And all of a sudden somebody comes up behind you and goes, mighty hero. Hey, mighty hero. What are you talking about, bro? I'm down here hiding. I'm hiding from these guys. Mighty hero. Why in the world are you calling me mighty hero? If God ever calls you something that you're not, it's because he knows where you end up. If he ever says to you and calls you a name like this, mighty hero, it's because he knows what end you're about to get to. The Midianites are destroying the Israelites left and right, and the angel of the Lord, who most scholars and theologians believe is actually Jesus, before he's born, steps forward as the angel of the Lord and tells him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, look at how Gideon responds. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. You ever felt that way? Ever felt that way in your life following Jesus? 
Um, I heard about all these stories. I heard about the tent meetings and the revivals and the people didn't care about air conditioning. They just sat outside for every night in the heat and sweated for months on end. And God did all these miracles and people, you know, churches were lacking for money and they went to their mailbox and there was a stack of cash in there one day and God's doing all these things and miracles are happening and providing for everybody else. But you're sitting here in the middle of your scenario going, that was all good to hear about, but um, he abandoned me right now. Where are those miracles at that I heard about for me? Where's all the stuff that I've been told about? The God's good. He does all this stuff for you. And then I'm sitting here suffering, not being provided for in some aspects. Anybody ever felt that way? Look at how the Lord responds to him in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. My stubborn uh, overthinking behind would have said, uh, God, you didn't answer my question. Uh, the, the, where uh, you're, If you're with us, why has all this happened to us? Can we start there? Can you give me an explanation on that one? Can you give me a reason why? Did I not pray enough? Am I not fasting enough? Am I not doing enough of the things that I need to be doing to get you to show up here? No. Nope. He doesn't answer that one. He doesn't answer any of those things. What he says is, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. You know what that tells me? That purpose overruns doubt every time. Why in the world is this happening to me? Why in the world are we going through this if you have a God-given purpose. It's going to keep your focus where it should be on the God who's leading you and not of the scenario that's around you. The thing about this passage that really, this particular scripture in verse 14 that really got me was go with the strength you have. Go with the strength I have. I don't have no strength. There's no strength there. And the Lord said, yeah, go. If God points you in a direction and tells you to do something, opens a door of opportunity and says, I want you to step through it. And you sit here and go, what are you talking about? I have no clue how to do that. God's either used everything up and up in your life up until this point to prepare you to walk through that door or he's going to walk with you and give you the grace of strength you need to accomplish his will. If he's the one who gave you the direction, if he's the one who pointed the way, follow him now. Every hurt, every heartbreak, every betrayal, every joy, every failure, every struggle, God can use those things, the free actions of other people to create something in you that will give you a way to sustain where he's taking you. That's if we go with him, if we follow his lead, not if we go, I want to do this. Mm -mm. He's under no obligation to pay for what you ordered. He will pay for what he directs.
Verse 15. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. What he's saying is here, what he's saying here is, hey, Israel's the smallest nation out there. Manasseh is one of the smallest tribes in Israel. My family's one of the smallest families in one of the smallest tribes in the smallest nation. And I'm the weakest over here. Everything's, uh, everything's terrible for me. I mean, I'm out here hiding, trying to not get my stuff taken on the threshing floor of a wine press, hiding my food from the Midianites. My, my pet's heads are falling off. I mean, everything is going wrong here, right? Like everything is going wrong. I don't have any strength on my own. How in the world am I going to be the one to rescue Israel? And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. We could stop right there and just have a shout and a Jericho march around the, around the, the, the sanctuary. Why? When God says, go, because I'm with you, there's no way you fail. I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and with the baskets of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. And the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. The angel of the Lord then disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the voice of God replies to him, It is all right. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And the altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. Now, here's where it gets real. Ready? That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on this mountaintop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using the fuel, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. This is one of the most gangster moves in the Old Testament to me. Because... <clears throat> What is represented as Baal and what is Asherah's idol? So he tells him, tear down the altar to Baal. Stop right there. His own family had rejected God. How hard that was at Thanksgiving? Birthdays? Holidays, events where you're trying to bring your kids over to see their grandparents. You, you want to know how awkward that conversation is? 
You used to have an altar to Yahweh out here, the God, the most high, the God above all gods. And now you're down here tearing that down and putting it up to Baal and to Asherah. And God tells him, hey, go knock that sucker down. I'm just honorary enough to love doing that. That's kind of, I wish it was me in that one. Go knock all that down and in its place, build an altar and take your father's bull, representation of Baal, and lay that sucker on there and kill it and sacrifice it to me. And what's going to light up that sacrifice is the wood from the Asherah pole that's standing next to it. So I want you to go, and I want you to stand against and tear down the greatest things that they think they have and replace it with me. We have to be ready to tear down every appetite that is in us that wants to do what we want to do we wants to serve ourselves. wants to uh i want my own prosperity i want my own name to be out there i want my own family to expand i want my own my, my business to be the one with the most clients i want all of that stuff above a pursuit of god we're going to have to be willing to tear that down and replace it with an altar a sacrifice of our life to the one true god and his name is yahweh we're also going to have to be prepared to tear down the sacred things of this culture and stand there and worship God after we do it. There's some striking parallels between the, the place where Israel is and the gods they're worshiping and where our culture is. I thought this was very interesting. Do you know that there is a bull statue made of bronze representing prosperity in America? You know where it is? Anybody? In New York, in the financial district of Wall Street. Do I think there's an underlying conspiracy by the Illuminati to put up a, 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 an idol in the middle there? No. But do I think it's a coincidence? Absolutely not. Because when our finances are doing well in the stock market, what do we call it? A bull market. And our culture, think 50 years ago in this country, some of you are like, oh my gosh, that's old. No, it's not. But 50 short years ago in this, cult, in this culture, you would look at someone that was behaving in a way that was not really morally correct and say, hey, man, you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, uh, uh, hey young, young lady, you shouldn't be doing that. And why? Because the Bible says this. And they would actually go, oh, that's in the Bible? And most people would say, yes. Ooh, it's a good book, man. Okay. And they would at least recognize what you were saying as the truth. Today, hey man, you should cut that out. Before you get anything else out, they're pepper spraying you or throwing something at you, right? They're yelling, they're protesting something. Why do you think I shouldn't live this way or participate in this activity? Because scripture tells us, what, the Bible? That book of myths? Isn't that the one that starts with the talking snake? That garbage, you believe that thing? Why am I controlled by some old myth that, that, that we've, we've already proven is just garbage? 
Really? Today, people are worshiping much like they did during the time of Israel. Prosperity and the fertility give me what I want. Let what I want prosper. And I'm not only talking about money. Are you prepared to tear down the shrines that are sacred to our culture and stand there and testify of God's goodness, authority, and supremacy over it all? Are you ready to stand in opposition of the culture? As I look back at Gideon, and if you continue reading chapter 6 and into chapter 7, you'll find that Gideon got an army together, and God told him it's too many people in the army, and he he whittled down the, the number of people in the army and made it smaller, and then he whittled it down again, and he told Gideon to go out to fight this entire Midianite nation army with 100 people. Gideon traveled to where the Midianites were camped out and he was exhausted. His people were exhausted pursuing what God had laid out in front of them. And he asked the people who were the rulers of the nation along the way, can you, can I buy food from you? Can you allow us to to sleep here tonight to gain some rest so we can continue going on? And every time he asked, he was told no. Exhausted, with no help, but with the Spirit of God directing them, they went and stood on the edge of the mountaintop and worshiped God. They let out a yell. They broke the pots that they had, the clay pots that were with them, and they never had to pull their sword to fight anyone because the Midianites thought they were surrounded. God used the enemy's fear against them, and they wound up fighting in the dark against each other and killing themselves. All Gideon had to do was obey, push through, and show up. I look, at, I look at Gideon and I think, <clears throat> I, I, I want to make a very clear point here real, real fast. This is very important. We cannot read the Bible and put ourselves in as the main character. How many have ever heard a, a message on David and Goliath? Pretty common, right? A lot of times people will encourage you to be like, you're David and you're following God and you're up against the giants and you just got to take the thing that God's given you and slay the giant. You're going to overcome. Woo! And then they go on, right? And they put you in as David. I have some very shocking news for you today. You ain't David. And neither am I. And if you were supposed to be, God would have created you to live during that time. In the same way that you're not David, you're not Gideon. 
The way that God deals with Gideon is not some recipe of how he's going to deal with every single person. I know that to be true because there's other stories in the Bible where God literally gave the children of Israel strength to go have the battle and fight with their swords and kill off their enemies. That's not what he chose to do here. God is God. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants. The point here is not to make you go, you're Gideon, you're David, you're put yourself in the story. No, we wind up with all kinds of jacked up beliefs because we do that. We step on the outside and say, what are the characteristics and actions of God that show his character? He calls the people who feel least qualified. He calls the people who are saying, I have nothing. I'm in the smallest tribe, in the smallest family. I'm the weakest of all my family. I'm down here. And God goes, you, that's the one I want. Um, going back to David real quick. You remember how David became king? Samuel went to his father and said, one of your sons is going to be king. And 11 other people were brought. And every time the prophet went down and said, none of these are it. Do you have another son somewhere? Like, oh yeah, David, he's out there and tending sheep in the field. You don't want to talk to him. I mean, these are one of the better choices. Nope. Take the lowly one. The guy who thinks he's unqualified. The lady who says, I don't have the skill. The person who says, I'm not the one that should be doing this. New Testament. Who did Jesus pick? Fishermen and hated tax collectors. Lowly, dirt, low people. So if you've ever felt like, how in the world can I stand against the culture? How in the world am I supposed to step out there and do something for God when the craziness of the culture is going on? Let them go do what they're going to do. They're stepping away from God. We're seeing what's happened even in our country with the passive judgment of God, him saying, you want to go down this road? I'm going to remove my protection and let you come to some of the ends publicly and see how serving yourself works out. We're experiencing that now, and you may go, how in the world am I supposed to make some difference in the culture that way? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve God and honor him, but I'm going to go back to minding my own business. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to speak out. I'm not dare touching any of the sacred cows in the culture today. I'm not knocking the bull over and sacrificing it and using the Asherah pole as the wood to start the fire. That ain't happening, bro. Why? I'm down here just trying to take care of my family. I believe in God and that's all good. I, I, I believe in him. I'm going to heaven. I love Jesus, but I'm going to stay down here because I'm nothing. I'm weak. I'm broken. I don't have the skill. You should pick somebody else, God. You should pick a warrior. You should pick some military strategist. You, you should pick some rogue scholar to go and be your oracle. You could pick one of your prophets, these mighty men of God, these spiritual guys. I'm just a dude down here trying to take care of his family, operate in the culture, and, and do what I can to get by to survive. And I'm minding my own business. And the burden that I had for this entire message is this. 
you may be in this room or you may listen to this later, it doesn't matter. But whoever you are and you feel like, what am I gonna do? I'm just minding my own business. Just be ready for God to say, you, I'm gonna use you. To do what? I don't have anything, no one's helping me, I'm exhausted. To go accomplish the work that he pointed the direction for you to do. After Gideon defeated the Midianite army, he became one of the chief judges in Israel. And they had peace and honored God for the rest of his lifetime. You think God can insert you somewhere? person who feels unqualified, low, what am I going to do? The culture's spinning out of control. I'm just going to mind my own business. Do you think he can use you? Because the Bible we read is full of stories just like Gideon who said, you might just be the one he's looking for. Why? Because when God does what he does through your life, no one's going to look at you and be like, that person had such skill great commitment, strength and loyalty, that's the right person. Because everyone will look and say, the only way that happened is God directing them. And I am completely okay with that. I tried to speak another message this week. My wife will tell you, I came home, I was like, I don't got it. I normally got it by now, I don't got it. I don't know what's going on here. God, what is going on? I can't, can't get that settling feeling. And the Lord does this to me every once in a while, not a lot, but every once in a while, gives it to me late and says, this is the burden. So I am convinced that at least one, if not all of you, I am here to say, hey, keep an eye open because God just might say you. I'm afraid I'm nothing. He may just say you. And if he does, are you going to walk in the way he points? Because the peace and obedience and reflection of his character in a dark world or a dark family in Gideon's case or a dark nation in Gideon's case. God may be using you to show a light that won't be seen another way. I'm here to tell you, keep your eyes, your heart, your mind, your spirit, open. Why? He just might be coming for you. He just might put something in your heart that you're not willing to do or I don't want to get involved. Let me show you a practical example, a real life example, and then we'll wrap up <clears throat> of how that happened this week. Today. 
we were um, spent last night at a hotel with, you know, a whole bunch of people from the church and, you know, they're just kind of taking all our kids to a swimming pool because none of us want one because we don't want to clean it in Arizona. And, or at least I don't, um, I'm speaking for everybody else to speak for myself. I don't want to clean it. So we all went to the hotel, let the kids go play and jump in the water and all that kind of stuff and went out and got dinner and stayed up way too late playing games and all that stuff. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. So I went and laid down in a room really, really, well, I should say really early in the morning and um, uh, rolled over to the door in my room, opening and closing, opening, closing, opening, closing. I'm like, Hey man, it's only seven o'clock here. I could sleep a little bit longer. <laughs> What's going on over there? And so I look over and my wife is peering down the hallway, this concerned look on her face. And I said, What's going on? She got a phone call from one of our youth who was going out to camp and his parents were there to pick him up. So she went downstairs as a good leader should do and uh, made sure he got with the family. And as she's walking back up to the room, Heard a lady screaming five rooms down from us, stop hitting me, stop hitting me, let me go. At that moment, you can have a couple of, you can have a, probably one of two responses. That's crazy, man. Not my business. I'm minding my own business. And walk back through the room and lay down because I'm tired. Or you can do what my wife did. And waited for the right opportunity to knock on that woman's door, see her crying, and say, come hide in my room and let me help you. So that's what we did this morning. Waited for her to call her friend, come help her walk downstairs with her stuff and take off and be in a place of safety rather than abuse. She's not from here. She's traveling. Is this a, all right, Nina, let's all give her a hand. Nope. It's an example of what this message is about. Minding my own business, doing what I am, what is in front of me to do. And somebody needs help and my heart is gripped. And the spirit of God will not let me just lay it down. And you go past the point of my comfort and I get involved. And it helps and provides a way of escape for someone who when she sat in our room, Nina told her, my husband and I are pastors at a church. You know, you, you're safe here. She goes, you're Christians, aren't you? And began to talk to us about her mom raising her in the church and praying for her. Your obedience could be the answer of someone else's prayer you may never meet. But are you going to continue to mind your own business? Or when God opens up an opportunity for you to get involved, are you going to obey? My guess is there's a bunch of you who are about to run into that scenario. And God changed the message this week for me to come and tell you and prepare you be ready. Be ready. Even if you don't feel prepared, his character and his nature is to find 
the ones who feel like they're not ready to say, you're going to be the one that I walk with.